You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. So this morning, we are continuing our series on hope. You'll notice that over the past couple of weeks, um, we've been talking about this topic with the understanding that when we, when we discuss God's hope, we're not talking about worldly hope. And let me define that for a second, um, just, to, just to reiterate how important, to, how important it is to understand the difference between how we define hope and how the Word of God defines hope. In our world around us, you'll hear different people say, you know, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope, and then you fill in the blank. And whatever they say that they hope in, there's kind of this understanding understanding that it might happen, it might not happen. It's kind of like a 50-50 toss-up. But then whenever we look to the Word of God, whenever it says hope, it says trust in what God is going to do in the future. This understanding that I know it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And hope in the Bible takes into account God's record of faithfulness throughout His entire Word. You'll notice that in the Old Testament and New Testament that God is always faithful to hold true to His promises. And so whenever we talk about hope, we're measuring God's faithfulness by his record of faithfulness and also looking to the future and saying what he said he's going to do, we believe it, it's going to be true. So whenever we say we hold on to this hope, what we're saying is we're not just wishful thinking. We're not just kind of going in and and, and just kind of rubbing our hands together going, I don't know if it's going to happen. It it might, it might not. We're saying, you know what? I know that my God is faithful and he's going to be, he's going to continue to be faithful as we walk into the future, holding on to his covenant, to his promises. So this series that we've, we've kind of lined up um, unintentionally, when we put this series of hope on the calendar months ago, we had no idea that it would be in the midst of a pandemic. And so once again, right there is kind of an example of God's faithfulness, about how God says that he will always lead us, about how he will always be there for us. And I can't think of a better sermon series, a better topic than the message of hope during this time. You see, all of us has, have hope in something. As we've discussed last week, if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back into our archives and check it out. We're all hoping in something. But whenever our hope is in God, that makes all the difference. Because as we just discussed, it's not a, eh, he might come through. It's a, I know my God is going to be faithful to see this through. We all have hope in some things. And isn't it amazing how quickly we forget about hope? Isn't it amazing how we go from hope to hopeless, back to hope to hopeless, and so on and so forth? So many circumstances often affect our perception and how we see uh, the world around us, how we receive and give information. And around the topic of hope, I feel like it's kind of like a wave. You're just kind of riding up and down. For example, I'll never forget when when I was in college, uh, a couple roommates and I, we were taking our exams for credentials, meaning to become licensed pastors. This exam was a big deal, especially for those of us who had churches that we were already kind of signed on with that said, you know, after graduation, I'm going to be your youth pastor, senior pastor, whatever it may, the position may have been. We already had those lined up. And so to go into that job position without a pastoral license is a big deal. And so this, this exam had all of us just, uh, on that teeter-tottering, full of hope, hopelessness, full of hope, hopelessness. 
And so I'll never forget walking into the exam room and they um, allowed us to have our Bibles with us because there was a ridiculous amount of scripture that was mentioned and half of the exam was open Bible. The other half of it, you were not allowed to use your Bible at all. And I remember going in and I sit down and I have my Bible, I have my pencil, a good pencil at that. So I'm feeling pretty full of hope, pretty confident in this. I'd studied and studied. And then after I studied, I studied some more. And I remember going in with such hope and I sit down and one of my roommates comes in and he sits down and he's kind of full of hope. And he sits there and he goes, I am ready for this exam. And I look at him and I go, dude, um, where's your Bible? And he looks at me and he goes, we're allowed to use our Bible for this? Instantly, no hope. So he runs across campus because the exam is about to start. He comes running back into the room, sits down with the Bible, sits down with his pen, says, I am ready to go, full of hope again. And then I look at him and I notice that his exam is different than mine. And I looked and I said, "Uh, John, um, you're taking the wrong exam. You grabbed the wrong one off of the desk. Instantly hopeless, back to hopeless. He runs back, gets the correct exam, comes back, and we're set back on hope. And I feel like in our life, there's just a lot of times where we allow circumstances and situations to dictate how much hope we have. Friend, can I tell you that when our foundation is built upon the hope of Jesus Christ, that it's not a teeter-totter, that we are constantly, consistently in in his arms, in his control, in his will, on his foundation. And in the midst of a world that always is teeter-tottering, aside from a time of pandemic, our world is, obviously this comes as no surprise to us, is constantly teeter-tottering on hope, hopelessness, hope, hopelessness. And I'm confident of this, that not only do Christ's followers have a reason to be steadfast in hope, making sure that it's not a teeter-totter, but I believe this, that as believers, we must have hope for the future. I'm going to say that one more time. As believers, if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you say, I believe in Jesus, I'm following him, then you and I are called to have hope for the future. One thing that I, I got to admit that I'm just irritated over during this time is the doom and gloom message. Oh, pastor, this is it. Jesus is coming back. And the messages go on and on. And I just look and I look at the word of God and I, I can't help but say, we have got to have hope for the future. Today, we're going to be, uh, if you'll turn with me to the book of uh, Exodus, we're going to be going through Exodus today because Exodus is this incredible story about the Israelites, the people of God, God's chosen ones. And this story is an incredible testimony of individuals who had their hope being challenged day in and day out. You see, every day it seemed like the the question was asked of them, will you put your hope in God or will you continue to put your hope in yourself and what you come up with? And it's this incredible story where we read about Moses, just an incredible leader of his time that God was molding and shaping for this purpose. And in this story, God is, is giving hope to the Israelites. He's giving hope as he pulls them out of a cultural context of, of slavery. And he's telling them, hey, listen, I'm going to give you hope for a future. And they constantly battle with hopelessness, hope, hopelessness, hope. And I want to talk to you today about what was determining their hopelessness and what was determining their hope. Because as Christians, I believe that we are called to see the future with eyes of hope. Hope in Jesus Christ. Hope that our world will come to know Jesus Christ. 
Will you put your hope in God? It's the question that is constantly asked to the Israelites. Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. That's Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. says this. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up into the land of good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I cannot help but notice in this scripture that God is talking about providing a better future for the Israelites. I mean, that's the overall message, right? He says, I see that they are in bondage. I see that they are in chains. I see that they are being driven by slave masters, that there is physical abuse that is happening and it is not okay with me. And so God says, I'm gonna intervene and I'm gonna give you a better future. And throughout scripture, there, there aren't verses where God talks about the future being worse than their current circumstance. And I feel like that message is also in the pattern for us that as God provides us a future, it's better than our past in sin. Fast forward, throughout the story, God sends plagues and slowly begins to break down Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go. And as scripture continues, fast forward to Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. And he said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Now pause for just a moment. This is a story. This is an example of somebody who had hope for the future. Notice that Joseph words, he said, God will surely come to your aid. That's somebody who sees the future with hope. Continuing on verses 20. After leaving Sackoth, they camped to Etham, the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Now listen here. This is what I want to focus on. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the Israelites. My point is this. Keep your eyes fixed on what God has ahead of us. Keep your eyes and your attention fixed on what God has ahead of us. I don't find it coincidence that the pillar of fire never forsake them. It never left them from the front. And there's this story where in this historical account, the scripture says this, if they face war, if they face difficulty, they will return to Egypt. Did you catch that? They will return to Egypt. They will return to slavery. They will return from what God once brought them out of. They will return and seek refuge in what was familiar to them. God knew that difficulty, aka war, would begin to distract the Israelites' hope in God, and they would begin to put hope in other things. They would begin to put hope in what was familiar. They'd begin to put their hope in what they knew rather than putting their hope into the faith of following God. 
And so there's this incredible, uh, incredible illustration here where this is how dangerous hopelessness is. When you lose sight of where God is leading you, you will open yourself up to things that once held you captive. I'm going to say that again. When you and I lose hope in God, when you and I begin to feel hopeless, here's the danger that you and I run just like the Israelites. We will look back at what was familiar to us, what hurt us, and we will be tempted to live back in that, that area of life that God ultimately took us out of you and I will look at it. And here's how, here's how crazy this is. You and I will be so tempted to return to the slavery, to the things that once held us captive. Now pause for a second. I'm not talking about crazy downfalls that you and I had. I'm talking about how the enemy takes our mindset first, how the enemy takes you and I will be tempted to return to the mindset of a sinner. You and I will be tempted to, to kind of become self-indulgent, make it about us. Because when, he, when God recognizes, when he stops and says, they will be tempted to turn back to slavery. This blows my mind. They will be tempted to return to what physically, emotionally abused them and hurt them. Why? Because it was familiar. Can I tell you that when you and I are abiding, when we are walking by faith, putting our trust and hope, it will always be tempting to put our hope in what was familiar to us. And then in this portion of scripture, he's saying, when you lose sight of what God is leading you to, you will open yourself up to the things that once held you as slavery. And not only that, but you will call it home. And I feel like there's some individuals, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Have you ever met somebody where it's kind of like hopelessness is a part of their personality? They have lived in hopelessness for so long that they can't even have conversations about a hopeful future without talking about, I mean, just for example, you know, you talk to this individual and you're like, my goodness, what a beautiful day outside. It is sunny. And they're the kind of individual who steps back and goes, yeah, but I get sunburned, so I don't like it. And then you talk to them about maybe a little particularly, you know, cloudy day. And you're like, hey, you know, this is a great day for you. You said you don't like, and they just kind of look at it like, yeah, but you know what? The humidity's killing me. I don't like it. And no matter what time or season of the year you catch this individual, and there's going to be something that they, they find to complain about because they've been so entrenched in hopelessness that they now just say, that's who I am. I've often heard this quote that when you and I say the statement, well, that's just who I am. That's our excuse to not change. It's just who I am. Can I just tell you this morning, friend, to keep your eyes fixed on what God has ahead of you. God has plans for you. God has an incredible future for you. God wants to set you up for that. He wants to mold you, shape you. Do not turn back to what was once familiar. He has called us a new creation in Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that old ways will not work as a new creation. I'm going to say that again. Old ways, what we once were, will not work as a new creation in Jesus Christ. How you and I perceive things, our mindset, we are not called to be these weeping prophets. That was Old Testament. You and I are called, if the New Testament told us anything, we are called to be carriers of hope. Even if it means that we are faced with death, you and I are called to carry hope till the day that we see Jesus Christ face to face. Keep your eyes fixed on what God has in front of you and know that his word tells us this, his future outweighs our past. Here's how I know that God has more for his church. 
Last I heard is there's roughly between four and five billion people who have never heard the name Jesus. Church, you and I have a lot of work to do. There was one time I made this statement. I said, you know, I kind of wish that, that Jesus would come back and I'll never forget being rebuked when I spoke that. It just so happened that I made that comment in front of a missionary and I remember he looked at me and he said, brother, that's one of the most selfish things that I think you could say. And when I stopped and looked at him, he brought to my recollection those numbers. He said, there are between four and five billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus and you're okay with just going up to heaven and leaving them behind. I don't think that my perception of the rapture of Jesus coming back will ever be the same since that missionary spoke that word to me. Church, God has a future in front of us. We've got a lot of work to do. We have incredible journeys ahead of us, incredible things that he is equipping us for right here and right now. And let's just reflect on our personal lives for a moment. Once again, maybe it's just me. I'll own that. But I know that God has more for me in my personal life. I know that God has a hope for, for your future, for my future. But specifically because of this, because in my own personal life, I can't say that I have arrived yet as to where I want to be as a husband. I know that God wants to teach me things in me being a husband. I know that he wants to mold and shape things in my life. I know that I have not yet arrived as a father. I know that there are still goals ahead of me. There are still things that God wants to equip me uh, with for the sake of my children and their children's children coming to know Jesus Christ. I know that there are things that he wants to equip me for right now. So yes, I have hope and a future. I have not yet arrived as God's child, meaning I have not yet arrived in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ to where I down a set of goals and we are coming. We have not yet arrived. It's this, that God has more in front of us. Don't turn back. God has more in front of us, just like he had more for the Israelites in front of them. He wasn't his desire to return from where they once came from. He brought you out of a lifestyle through the power of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. He has more. Make sure that you and I are not speaking death, that we are not speaking things such as, well, pastor, I just don't know. This might be it. Well, pastor, I just hope that Jesus comes back. God has more. And I truly believe that I see it in his word. I have not yet arrived as a father, as a husband, or especially in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because I recognize that there is more ahead. Somebody better be shouting me down right now. Trust that God has more ahead of us. Allow his vision for a future to be bigger than our memories of the past. Allow his vision for our future to be bigger than our memories of the past, because when that happens, we will see hope for the future. When you and I say, you know what, I have some great memories of encounters with Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for those because they have molded me and shaped me, I also recognize that he has more encounters in front of us. Look for signs of hope, no matter where you are in life today. I want to encourage you to look for signs of godly hope. I heard it once put this way whenever I uh, I had heard a mom at a, at a store kind of having a coaching session with one of her kids. And I remember her telling her child this. She said, look for something to complain about and you always find it. Look for something to be thankful for and you'll always find it. 
Friend, no matter what circumstance you and I face, no matter what trial, there's always godly hope. There's always hope that he provides. There's always something to be thankful for. Exodus 32, 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Pause for a moment. These are individuals who were just rescued out of slavery, who have experienced miracle after miracle of God's provision, who literally walked through a split sea, who were taken out of their oppression. Signs and miracles were performed in front of them. And Moses goes up on top of the mountain to meet with God for a few weeks. And all it took in the matter of a few weeks was for them to not see a hope carrier to lose hope. All it took, even though they had experienced miracle after miracle, was a few weeks of not seeing somebody who was carrying hope, Moses, to fall into hopelessness. I believe that they didn't look for signs of hope during this time. Because friend, follow me on this. When, when you and I, when you and I experience miracles, when you and I experience encounters with God, we ultimately, we automatically become carriers of hope. And I believe that all it would have taken for the, for the Israelites to realize, to remember, to recall from remembrance God's faithfulness, follow me on this, was to simply look down on the ground that they were standing on and understand that the ground that they were not standing on, or excuse me, that they were standing on was not not Egyptian ground. All it would have taken for them to understand the hope that they had in God's provision and God's leadership was to look down at their feet and notice that they were no longer in chains. All it would have taken was for them to look for godly hope. Friend, you and I have the opportunity, no matter what season of life may come, to look for God's hope. And I guarantee you that when you and I stop and pause for a moment and begin to reflect on what God has brought us out of, when you and I begin to reflect on God's grace and his mercy and his sovereignty. You and I cannot help but be filled with hope. Ultimately, the Israelites were not looking for godly hope. They had succumbed to hopelessness. Look for godly hope and you'll find it. Unlike the Israelites, reflect on the blessing that you are currently standing on. The fact that you and I have breath in our lungs today is a blessing unto itself. Do not conform, our, do not allow our minds to be conformed to our old ways. Looking back, there's a, there, in Ecclesiastes, there's a scripture that says, do not say, why were the days so much better than these? For it is unwise to say such things. There's so much wisdom throughout Proverbs and Ecclesiastes where we are constantly taught the message. Don't look back and say, ah, the good old days. But from what I read in scripture, it talks about how the good old days are ahead of us. Hope for a future. 
and make sure that in our perception of what's going on around us, that we are looking for godly hope. Because when you and I look for it, I guarantee you that you will find God-given hope. Lastly, as we conclude this morning, have hope in God's process of doing things. I'm going to say that one more time. Have hope in God's process of doing things. From the time Moses' exile, when he was kicked out of Egypt, to the time of him encountering this infamous story of standing at the burning bush, which was God's presence, it was God speaking to him. From the time that he was kicked out of Egypt because Moses, you see, sometimes we forget the testimonies of individuals. For example, like we call the the 12 disciples, like we look at them like they're up here and we completely forget sometimes that every single one of them had horrible past or made ridiculous uh, mistakes. And sometimes when we look at the story of Israel being freed from slavery, we forget that they were led by a man who had committed murder. Moses had a past and and fled from, from Egypt. So from the time of him fleeing out of Egypt to the time of him encountering God and God saying, Moses, I'm going to use you and you are going to free my people. It was 40 years. 40 years from the time that Moses fled from Egypt to the time that he received his calling to rescue Egypt. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe it's because I'm from a microwave generation But if I don't see results in 40 seconds, I'm questioning. If I don't see results within like four days, then I come to this belief where I'm like, praise God, I'm walking by faith. It's been four days. And then I read stories about individuals who waited in, you know, in in imprisonment for 14 years. Or individuals such as Moses who waited 40 years years from the time that he fled to the time that he was called. It's a process. What's the process? God's plan. His plan, his will is a process. As we close this morning, I want to focus on two two verses in Exodus because these verses, the former reflects an attitude of hopelessness, mocking Moses for saving them from chains and bondage and slavery. And the latter verse talks about a people who are constantly giving God offerings. And these two very different responses are interesting to read. Because something had to take place in between these two responses. Follow me with this. Exodus 14, 11. They said to Moses... Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You just risked your life. Every time Moses stepped in front of Pharaoh and demanded that he set God's people free, he was risking his very own life. Because to come in Pharaoh's presence with an offensive message also typically came with a penalty of death. 
The fact that every time that Moses went to him was not only an expression of God's faithfulness, but ultimately in this story, we see how he, Moses stepped out by faith, risked life and limb, only to have the Israelites look at him and say, what have you done to us? My response would be, oh, you know, just set you free. My response would have been a little bit harsh. And so we have this story where the Israelites are saying, you, you took us out of what was comfortable. At least there we, we expected, we had, we had known what to expect every day. And, and ultimately they're mocking Moses saying, there's, there's no graves because we're all going to die. So where, where are we going to, are you burying us in the desert? And then Exodus 36, verse 4. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work of the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, now follow me on this. The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. In the former Bible verse, we have complaining Israelites who are saying, you brought us out here to die. In the scripture verse that we just read, we have Israelites who are giving so many free will offerings, meaning out of their heart, that they actually had to tell the Israelites to stop giving offerings because there was so much. What happened in between the former and the latter? What took place to take people who were ungrateful, hopeless, and angry into full of hope, uh, abiding in God's will, so much so that they had trusted in God that they were giving offerings in a ridiculous amount over, over uh, abundance. And friend, the, the conclusion that I, I can only draw from scripture is this. God's process took place. God's process took place where you notice in scripture, our first scripture that we read, it says, you know, we could take the shorter route. But for your sake, for your protection, I'm going to take you the longer route. And as we read the book of Exodus, we see on this journey, God is doing incredible miracles. Manna from heaven, meeting with Moses on the mountain. There's these different times where they're putting their trust in false gods and Moses has to correct them. What's happening through the book of Exodus? God's process. He's molding and shaping these individuals. He's testing them. He's providing for them. He's teaching them how to, how to live a godly lifestyle. There's a process that is taking place, and it is such an incredible transformational process that these individuals who once accused him of saying, basically, you're murdering us, you're taking us out into the desert to die, they are so transformed that they eventually say, you know what, we want to give God so much offering that they overgave. Uh, my point is this, trust in God's process. It's an easy term that you and I use. Oh, God's up to something. God's at work. And I'm so thankful that he is. But I also want to pause for just a moment this morning and point out the fact that in God's process, we sometimes experience hurt. We experience confusion. We experience what it is to walk by faith, not knowing what tomorrow will bring, not knowing what circumstance or situation will pop up. 
you and I will face those days where everything tests our time, patience, and effort. So much so uh, that we come to the end of the day and we are so mentally, emotionally, and physically drained that we say, God, I can't take a phone call. I can't take another interaction that tests me. And you know what happens? The phone rings. And you and I are taken through these processes, not that God has caused them, but he allows them to happen. Why? Because friend, every day you and I are going through a process, his process. And you and I have to have hope because here's what I know, that what the Israelites were brought out of was nothing compared to what God brought them into. And I see God's faithfulness and the fact that what he brings us into is always far better than what he brought us out of. So friend, this morning, my message to you is take heart, take hope in God's process because he is at work. It might not look like what we wanted it to look like. It might not meet our expectations, and that's okay. Because he's still working and he has a plan. Historically, what God leads us into is far better than what he brought us out of. Don't revert to old ways of thinking, old ways of behaving, old ways of doing life. During this time, in our nation, in our world, or in our individual lives, take hope today. Look for hope and understand that God is taking us through a process. And you and I are called to trust, to have hope in his process that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. Will you bow your heads with me this morning, wherever you are? Just begin to Say, God, I trust in your process. In your own words, as you begin to watch the computer screen, TV, or maybe it's, it's even an Xbox that is bringing this service to you this morning, regardless of the method, let's make sure that we are accepting the message that Jesus Christ has given us and saying, God, I trust in your process. Would you just continue to do that, friend? Just continue to say, God, whatever it is, whatever you're teaching me during this time, I open up my heart, I open up my mind as we conclude. Father, I thank you so much that even when we don't see it, you're working. You never stop working as the, as the worship song that we sing so often says, you never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, you are still at work. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that as you begin to teach us all different lessons in our individual lives, Lord, during this uh, time, I pray that your church, God, I pray that your church would take hope in the process. Help us not to look back. 
Help us not to look back on the past and say those days were so much better than these. As Ecclesiastes says, that is unwise speech. So God, help us to trust in your future, to trust in the process. And Lord, I pray that we would be hope carriers to the world around us. God, help us to reach the four billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. Help us to recognize and understand that there are tasks in front of us yet to be done that you are calling all of us to be a part of your process, God. So Lord Jesus, I pray that as a result of today, that we as the church, as a body of Christ, that we would be more patient, that we would uh, speak the living word rather than speaking doom and gloom, Lord Jesus. Transform what we speak, transform the way we think, transform the way that we see. And God, help us to trust in the process and help us, Lord Jesus, to see a future of hope. Because I believe that as we reach the world around us, that our future will be more and more full of hope as individuals who didn't know you come to know you, Lord. Now, Father, as we conclude this sermon today, Go with us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would lead us, guide us, mold us, shape us into the people that you desire us to be. And we come to you with the understanding that your process sometimes takes time. So have your way, God. We yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's live stream. God bless you. We love you. If there's anything that we can do to serve you and your family during this time, please do not hesitate to reach out to us uh, via phone call, calling our church phone number, emailing us, whatever we can do, even posting on this live stream. If you have specific prayer requests, we would love to hand those prayer requests over to our prayer team and keep them in prayer on a weekly basis. God bless you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.